as we began this class with the small group that we have, um, my guess is that you have not always known what work you should do in life, right? Maybe there are certain stages of life you were more confident. Yeah, this is, this is what I was meant to do. Um, but if you were in college at one point in your life or you were just younger, which we all were, uh, people were, were likely wondering, what should I do? Like, I'm supposed to go to college, I'm supposed to get a degree, and I'm supposed to, like, you know, do this job for, like, the rest of my life. And um, I'm guessing that all of us have been there at one point in our life just asking that question, what should I spend my life doing? On what type of work? What type of job? What type of occupation? Um, if you think about friends, maybe you have kids in that situation right now. Maybe you um, are thinking about that for yourself today. Like, what work should I do um, even in retirement now that it's changed? And so these are, these are important questions we should consider. And the Bible, of course, offers a broad amount of advice on this exact topic, right? It doesn't say, you, Shannon, should do this work today, right? It doesn't speak like that. But it offers broad advice for all of us to look at. I think this is why sometimes uh, many of us are kind of just, like, lost in the moment. There's so many things I could do. So, so what should I do with, like, the millions of options out there? Uh, so this leads us then to the main goal of today's class. Our goal is to think through how we determine what work we should do together and, and then to think through how we can find better fulfillment in the work that God's given us to do. So those are the two goals. Uh, think through how do I determine what work I should do, what I should spend my time doing, and then how do I find fulfillment in that work. Again, um, I'm aware we have a variety of of people in different stages of life here. Uh, perhaps you've done your job for a long time, like 30 plus years. I know Richard Dahl, who's not here, has done like 35, 40 years at the EFC, a long time. And likely you've had a career maybe just as long as his or not. Uh, maybe longer, longer, hey, maybe. Or perhaps shorter as, as well. Um, so we have everything in between. And so maybe this seems less relevant to you than others, but we should think through this anyway to help others who are still trying to navigate that and find that, that work that they should do. So again, whatever your situation is, that, that's, that's what we're aiming for here. So how do we determine then what work we should do in life, right? That, that's the question. And I just want to give us uh, four principles here this morning to, to contemplate uh, to think through when asking this question. What work should we do? The first question we have to ask is, is it good work, right? Is this good work? Now, now that's broad, like good work, okay, what, what does that mean? Uh, we're going back to like four weeks ago, our first class and our second class, and good work is, is that which advances human flourishing broadly to the glory of God. Okay, that's very broad. But in a, in a nutshell, if we're just trying to get it right there in a, con a condensed statement, good work should advance human flourishing to the glory of God. Okay, this is the first question we should ask about any work that we involve ourselves in. So what type of work doesn't fit this criteria? Um, for instance, I think work that is not good would be something like the pornography industry. Okay, it's a billion-dollar pandemic. That's terrible work. Obviously, sex trafficking, drugs, 
Um, a strong case could be made against tobacco industries, these, these substances that are not healthy or good, and it's been proven. I would argue that's probably bad work. Okay, I don't think we're going to have too much debate there. Um, but we also need to recognize that it's not always as clear-cut as this, right? Because the corporations we work for, yeah, they do good work. They do some good work that promotes human flourishing. Uh, but at the same time, they often do bad work, too, that harms humanity, right? It's, it's a mixture of the companies we work for. So it's, it's not always clear-cut when we ask this question, is it good work? It's not easy, right? So when we're trying to determine that, um, we should, we should aim, like, does this work actually bring benefits to people? So we should be able to name at least maybe a few ways it does that. And we should ask Lord, can we ask Lord to truly bless the work that we're called to do in that corporation? Mary Jo, you had a, a question? Yeah. I used to work for games that turned to the kind of drain away. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're always evaluating that. Is this truly good work? Is this doing good? Or maybe not. And you've you got to see that the transformation, even in some of our work, it, it changes. Uh, thinking about the legalization of marijuana today, that's like the next debated topic, even in Christian circles. People are making arguments like. You know, we can drink in moderation. Why can't we get high in moderation and things like that? So, like, across the board, this is going to be debated. Is this good work? Should a Christian uh, sell marijuana, for instance, right? And, of course, it's complex, varying situations and circumstances. And so this is, again, broad-based. I understand that. But it's still a question we have to think through for ourselves. Is this the type of work I want to dedicate my life to? Second, then. Second question we have to ask, does it fit with my desire and ability that God's given me? Now, this isn't the only factor, okay, but it is a factor. Now, when approaching this question of work, um, like, does it fit with my desires and abilities, there are often several other related questions that people ask, right? Should we seek fulfillment at work, or should we instead work and see if fulfillment follows? Should we keep looking for the job that fits us like just perfectly, like hand in glove? Or, or should we just accept whatever job we have and in God's providence, just, just do that? And for, for all these questions on the screen, I think the answer is yes. Yes to all of them, right? There's some level of tension, um, but we should seek fulfillment at work and we should seek work that, that gives fulfillment if possible uh, we, should, we should keep looking for a job that fits us. And at the same time, we should accept whatever job we have in the moment and learn as much as we can from it. So as Christians, we believe that God made us. He made us uniquely with different giftings, different desires, different abilities and aspirations. And so we should explore them as we can. And the younger you are, the more you should really just try to go broadly. Where did God gift me? Where, what desires did he truly put in my heart? And so we shouldn't necessarily always get locked in, but explore broadly. What is it that I should explore? And it starts with our desires and our abilities. And so we're always in a constant state of growth and change. All of us are. And, and we need to work to broaden, develop these talents, abilities, and in doing that, our desires will also change and fit or not fit with what we're doing. So, 
as we consider this question, does it fit with my desire and my ability? Does it bring me like fulfillment? That's like the big lingo these days. Do, do, do you find like fulfillment in your job? Um, here's, here are some things that we, we might find problematic, right, in, in this pursuit. I think first we might find that what we're good at and what we, what we desire are often in conflict with one another. Now, now, what I mean by this is what we sometimes love to do, like passionately love to do, we're just not good at. And sometimes there are things that we're good at, but we just don't like doing it at all, right? There, there's this like tension. We're in conflict with ourselves. And of course, there are things we like doing, uh, but for whatever reason, we just don't want to make it our main job and make it our means of, of living. So my wife and her sisters, you may or may not know this, they started their own like drawing business. They sell their artwork digitally. And my wife's sister named Amy uh, loved, like she is passionate about doing artwork for fun. But the moment it turned into her job, like her means of living, which it is today, it's, it's stressful now. She hates it. And so she kind of almost wishes, oh, I really wish I didn't make this my job, because now it's just, it's not pleasurable. And so again, while we strive to bring like our skills and abilities together, our desires and abilities, we just have to work that sometimes in a fallen world, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be paradise. And that's okay. That's what we talked about in the fall. Sometimes our work just feels forced. So this is the first problem uh, we might encounter. But the second problem we might encounter in trying to find a job that fits our desires and abilities is that we have no idea, right? We just have absolutely no idea what type of work we like to do, okay? I mean, I think the younger you are, the more this is true of you. So if you talk with your kids, college-age kids, hey, what are you majoring in? What do you want to do? You ask kids in high school, middle school, no idea, right? Like, I think I want to do this, but I'm not really sure. And you ask them what major they're going to do, like, ah, this, but I'm not sure. Uh, so the younger you are, they, you just don't have any idea at all. Like, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know really what I want to do. And so practically speaking then, um, how does a person find this out? How do they find out their, their desires? How do they find out their abilities, where they're skilled and gifted? First, I just want to encourage us, like, just seven different things we can do, or, or four different things we can do here together. When talking to a person like this, you can encourage them in this way. First, just begin paying attention to your desires and abilities. This is obvious, but so often we just don't do this. Like, think through, write down, what are you actually desiring to do? What type of work? What are your abilities? It's likely that you'll be attracted to certain things that you are good at, things that you excel at. But then if you, like, are interested, right, in being a diplomat, right, to foreign nations, are you good at picking up languages easily? So that's the first thing, right? Pay attention to your desires and the abilities you already have. Maybe you speak a second language. Like, that's a huge advantage in some work. After thinking through your desires, your abilities, gather information about that type of work. So many times people just assume that they know what goes into that line of work and they fail to actually gather the necessary information about it. And so many, many people, I think the younger generation, my generation, were very passive when it came to this. Like they didn't actually explore the job and work they were going to do with their degree. 
They just assume that they do some sort of nebulous job out there that fit with a business degree. And, and they didn't really know anything about it at all. So you need to actively pursue knowledge about the work you're interested in. And this will either reinforce your desire and ability to do that job, that type of work, or you'll actually find out, nope, after gathering this information, I realize I don't want to be a doctor. That is stressful. And I don't want all of that debt that comes with going to medical school. Of course, talk with your spouse, family, and friends. Lean into those people who know you best. Don't neglect your parents' advice. They've seen you. They know your desires, your interests. So start there with those people who know you best. Gather information by talking to them. Are there things that they say that you're good at, that you should pursue? Are there things that they say you should absolutely not be a mathematician, right? Like something like that. You are not a rocket scientist. God did not design you that way. You should do something with your hands. Like lean into those who know you well. Yes, of course. Oh, yes. Right. Yep, yep. Help you think. Challenge your presuppositions. I'm good at this. And they're like, maybe you're not. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, there are CEOs who will hire what you're calling life coaches, a mentor who will help them navigate these things. And it's a, it's a big thing for bigwigs up there who can afford it. They pay them like $100,000, $200,000 a year to have this life coach who does exactly what you're talking about. But I think informally, we can do that for all, all for one another and have multiple life coaches in our church, mentors. And that's what discipleship is, isn't it? We're discipling one another to be more and more like Jesus. Absolutely. That's good. So these are the first three things you can do when discerning your talents and abilities, desires. And of course, there is this Cliff's Strengths Finder test that you can also take. Um, it's a test you can pay for. You can answer a ton of questions. And it'll help give hints at where your desires and your abilities are. And I found it useful. I, I looked at the results. I talked with Shannon about it. And I'm like, is this true of me? And she's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is pretty accurate. Um, the one danger of this is that sometimes you can let these types of tests pigeonhole you into one certain type of category. Don't let it do that. Use it more as, as a sampling of where I should investigate and where I should look. Uh, more than saying, this is who I am and I can't change. Because that's not true. We all change. If I took this test again five years from now, I'm sure I'll get way different results. Because we're all in the process of change. But I only mention this as a way to investigate and continue to gather more information. So after doing all of these steps, finally, um, sample challenging tasks from that work. If this is truly something you want to do, you, you got to try it, okay? There's nothing that substitutes for experience. Everything might look good on paper. You might think, this is, this is it for me. I love this. But then you start doing the work, and you realize, I was wrong. <laughs> I was, this is not for me. I hate this. I thought I wanted to do inner city ministry uh, my whole life, pretty much, going up into college. 
And then I did an internship at Family Baptist Church in Minneapolis. And over the course of that summer, I realized in all in an instant, this is not for me. Like, I thought I would love working in the hood. I thought I would love the constant ministry just constantly happening all the time. I burned out over that summer. I realized I cannot do this. I am not built for this. And so I ended up at Eden. I did my internship there for four years instead. And I thank God for that. Paul Perdue steered me. He mentored me. He spoke into my life. He said, this might not be a good idea. I'm like, I think you're right. <laughs> so, uh, and so I appreciate all of that. So we need to sample challenging tasks. We really do. There's nothing that can substitute for that. And then after doing all of this, um, even as we've already been talking, seek honest feedback after doing that work. Okay. So let's, let's put all of this together in a story, okay? Like some sort of example so that we can, we can grab this. Uh, let's talk about make-believe uh, woman named Sally, right? Sally, like her mom, wants to be a teacher one day, okay? She thinks, this is what I want to do with my life. She admires her mom and her teaching, and she's going to follow the same path. This is her desire. Now, whether or not she has the ability is yet to be determined, and so because she hasn't had much experience teaching, um, she starts trying it out with her siblings. And she starts volunteering um, at, at, the, at the classroom. And she asks her mom, Mom, what do I need to do to teach? What, what tools do I need? And so her mom begins explaining to her, hey, you need, you need classroom management skills. Okay? Any teacher needs to be able to do this. Students are going to interrupt you. How do you navigate that? And then, of course, she learns that she has to do a ton of grading of assignments and the time-consuming process of it all, and it starts to look less and less flashy. Uh, but then she learns that teachers have the summers off, and she's excited again, right? So she's gathering all of this information. And so after doing these first two steps, paying attention to her desires and, and gathering information about it, um, she begins to sample challenging tasks to see if she actually can do the job, right? Is this something I actually can do? So she starts to volunteer, right, to teach the children at church. She involves herself with substitute teaching. And after having done both, she seeks honest feedback. Okay, this is crucial. She talks with her mom. She talks with the teachers who have observed her teaching. And now it's at this point, there are several different things that could happen, right? Right? For Sally, it could be completely affirming, right? Maybe this is the best case scenario. She's like, yes, you are absolutely built for this. You know, you are designed to teach. You have the desire. You love it. This is for you. Or she could receive honest feedback saying, yeah, I think you would be a good teacher one day. Uh, but there are some yellow flags here that I would caution you about to think through. You seem like really exhausted. Are you going to be able to sustain this for a long length of time? And so getting this honest feedback will help her navigate. And then finally, maybe Sally can do the job, but she realizes she does not like it. Like this is, I, you know, I thought I would love this, but it is just not for me. And so in this scenario, they're trying to tie all of these pieces together. This is kind of what we do uh, when we're looking for work all the time. We're taking all of these different steps and we're doing them all at different times. And so again, um, hopefully this will not only help you, but you will be better equipped to help others who are wrestling through this question that we so often get, right? Like, what am I good at? What are my desires? What are my abilities? And here is the way that I think we can help someone, practically speaking, work through that 
so that they can determine where God gifted them, where, what God made them to do. Um, any, any questions or comments on, on this second point? That was a lot. So it's the longest point we have here. Okay, we'll keep moving on here. So these are the first two questions when determining our work and our calling. Uh, but third then, does this work or job provide a means of living? Now, if I'm going to live on my own by myself, if I'm going to have a family and I'm going to be the main provider, this is a crucial question for us to ask. Sometimes it isn't as crucial, but if you are looking to support a family, this is a question we have to contemplate. Sometimes we may find that what we love to do, what we were built to do, you know, what we're passionate about, what we're good at, um, just doesn't provide an income, okay? That's just reality. Uh, thinking about pastoring back in the day, I'm like, I think I would love to pastor. I think it would be great at it. I'm not sure I'm good at it yet, but this question did come up. Like, will it actually provide a means of living? And, and a lot of pastors out there get business degrees and other occupations because they realize this exact problem. Often the case is um, you can't make a means of living off it. Um, so this is, this is a question we need to think through then. Many people find themselves in this exact situation after college. According to one study, only 46% of college graduates um, actually end up using their degree at all in the place that they work. Okay, Only 46%. Um, if I'm doing the math correct, that means 54% of college graduates never use their degree in their line of work. And this is partly due to the fact that the area that they studied is oversaturated with people with the exact degree and, and the job in that market is just, it's just difficult, it's competitive. There are a plethora of students fighting for a limited space uh, of jobs and they didn't do the research at all. And, and so it's really hard then to use what, do what they studied for in their line of work. And so we need to, to recognize sometimes that what we love doing, what we're, what we're good at, what we want to do, um, it needs to maybe at first be something else, maybe a side job or a hobby until it can actually provide a substantial source of income. Um, Shannon and I talked about this a lot back in the day. There's the joke about the starving artist, right? Artists are passionate, right, about their work. They love to draw. But what happens? They starve, right? Because it's competitive. It's incredibly competitive. You can't just be an artist and sell your work. That is so hard. Become a professional athlete, like super hard. And so we just need to realize, like, Am I actually going to be able to make a means of living off this, or am I going to have to do something else? And so this is just a question we need to, again, it comes with sampling the work and investigating the options out there. Um, and again, if this is supposed to provide a means of living, sometimes maybe we need a reality check that this isn't going to pay the bills, perhaps. And so I'm thankful that Shannon's business has grown, and it's a substantial part of our income. But initially, mm -mm, not, not a chance. We would have starved to death on my wife's art business salary, right? And that's okay. We just need to be aware that if we're going to do something like, maybe it needs to start off as a side thing first and explore different options that way. Okay, so these are the three things we need to consider in our line of work. And this brings us to the fourth point for consideration this morning. And I wanna be careful that I'm not misunderstood on this point. Maybe this is the most debated thing I say. And that's okay, this is more of my opinion. 
than it is biblical. Okay, I'm already saying that up front. Uh, but first, I want to say that all honest and good work deserves dignity and respect, right? All work that we do, all good work deserves dignity and respect. That's what Paul says. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. And then second, I want to preface that every worker has equal value in the eyes of God, okay? Everyone who works has value in the eyes of God, no matter what it is that you do, as long as it's, you know, good work. The person who sweeps the floor to the CEO of a major company, both of them have intrinsic value. They're made in the image of God. Both deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Even as James 2 calls us not to show partiality toward the rich and discriminate toward the poor. Okay, so with that stated preface, we also need to recognize that there are certain positions, jobs, and work that have more strategic impact than others, okay? There are certain positions, jobs, and work that have more strategic impact than others, okay? For example, the CEO has more impact on a company, more influence than the cleaning crew does on Saturday, right? They just do. The CEO has more influence on the direction of a company, and they can even lead it into bankruptcy. The cleaning crew, on the other hand, likely doesn't have that level of influence. Okay, keep following with me. Because of this reality, I think it's important for us to recognize that there, are, there is some work that has more strategic value than others, and we should lean into those areas where we are rarely gifted and where those rare gifts have strategic value that God has given us. Which brings us to our fourth point. Does this work exercise my most rare and strategic gifts as much as possible? Now, rare and strategic are not synonymous here. Okay, they're not the same thing. Um, it might be rare to, you know, like read a book while like juggling or something like that, but that is not strategic at all. That doesn't really help anyone um, except for maybe entertainment value. And again, it might be strategic to clean the operating room after a surgery, uh, but cleaning in of itself is not necessarily a rare gift. Most anyone can do this. But if anyone has a gift that is both rare and strategic, they should recognize it, they should develop it, hone it, and use it gladly if called upon to do so. So for one example, um, a rare and strategic gift would be that of a pediatric cardiac surgeon, right? I'm proposing that a person with that type of strategic rare gift should lean into that as much as possible for the glory of God and the good of his or her community. And the same is then true for our gifts in the church. If there is a way that you are rarely gifted and it's strategic, we should be thinking, how can I personally lean into this unique thing God has given me for the good of Christ's body, the church? Okay, I'm going to give some examples. I'm going to embarrass some people. Um, they're out in the lobby, so that's okay. Jessica and Kevin, when they joined, Kevin's like, I'm uniquely gifted with, with music and guitar. I, I want to use this to benefit Christ. That's a rare and strategic gift for the good of the body of Christ. And he just jumped right into that. 
And then Jessica does work for the government. They help people process that type of, and she's just immediately helping people in our church work through that, work through those questions. And so that's an instance of them taking what they're already good at, their rare and strategic gifts, and they're trying to use it immediately to help others in the church. And another example is, is Steve. Steve is uh, the other pastor here. I'm talking about that, Steve. He's a Renaissance man. He has like 10 different degrees. It's crazy. And in his engineering, he uses it all the time to fix problems in the church that only he knows how to fix. And so he's leaning into that rare strategic gift that he has to benefit us. And he's doing this all the time. Like you have no idea how many times he's fixed things in this building for us. And so I only use these, uh, these brief examples to try to help us then think through where is it that my most rare and strategic gifts can be used for the good of others around me. And so our musicians are doing that. Michelle, you play Sunday like every other week, and my mom, you do the same. And we're all trying to do that where we're uniquely equipped and leaning into that. And by doing this, we're trying to really do uh, what Jesus calls us to in Luke 12, 48. Jesus says in Luke 12, 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And that's all we're trying to do. We're trying to take what Jesus has given us and use it for him, right? Who, who has been given much, much will be demanded. Um, I'm not sure if any of you have seen Spider-Man. Have you guys seen Spider-Man? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, this, this phrase, I realized after I was reading from Jesus, I'm like, Spider-Man just plagiarized Jesus, okay? They just took this quote and they rephrased it, okay? Because the, the main quote that everyone knows from Spider-Man is from his uncle. And he says, with great power comes great responsibility, okay? They're just taking what Jesus says. Who much have been given, much will be demanded, right? Great power comes great responsibility. And, and we're just trying again. Where am I most rarely strategically gifted? Where am I most powerful in how I can help? And how can I use that for the good of the body of Christ? Um, Again, I think this is what 1 Corinthians 12 is getting at. Paul calls on us, the body of Christ, to use all the different giftings to help one another. And so the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. They need each other desperately. And so this is what we're trying to figure out. Where am I gifted? Am I hand? Am I foot? Am I finger? Am I toe? Am I nose? What am I? And how can I assist the body of Christ? And so we strive then for, for, to use all that we are for the glory of God. Any questions or comments on, on this final point? Any concerns? That's probably the most debated one on all of these, but I don't know. Maybe it's not. <laughs> you could. <laughs> exactly. Right. And to that point, as we're trying to figure out where we are most, you know, rarely and strategically gifted, as you see people and you're like, no, they are really good at that. Go encourage them. Be, be that voice of encouragement. It's like, I've noticed, Mary Jo, you are just a friendly person all the time. I am so thankful you are greeting people on Sundays all the time. And I, I just want to let you know that I'm encouraged by that. And and I think others feel warmly welcomed by you. Like all this, when you see these things, 
encourage one another in that way. Michelle, I don't have to say this. I'm always encouraged by your piano playing. Same with you, Mom. Just always, as you notice these things, we just want to develop that kind of thing. And especially where you see a rare and strategic gift, try, try to point out those things too um, so that they know that, hey, you're really doing good by, by serving us in that way. Okay. With our remaining time then, I'm going to try to tie all of these four questions together, okay? Um, not quite. Yeah, yeah, they're questions. All these questions together uh, with a chart. Everyone likes charts, right? <laughs> Maybe not. Um, this is a diagram f- um, from a guy named Mark Wynn. It's pop culture, okay? Um, but I think he's found something uh, that was already capturing what I was looking at, these four questions, thinking through. Um, and the reason I, I show this as a visual aid is perhaps, you know, inspire us and to kind of get the juices flowing as we think through our work. Uh, but he's putting into visual form many of the elements that we've just talked about, right? The four questions. Um, is this within my desire and, and my abilities, right? So you got what I'm good at and what I love there as circles up there. And we have, can I get paid for it, right? Can I, can I actually make a living off of this? And of course, is this good work? Is this something that the world truly needs? And of course, this is a Japanese concept here. Mom, have you heard of this? I didn't talk with you. Yeah, you haven't? It's, it's ikigai, is that right? Ikigai is the term. And it just means a purpose for, for being. If you have all four of these in your work, you find like this fulfillment and this higher purpose. So it's a little bit psychology and purpose. But I'm just using this age just to, as a visual for what we talked about. Not what they're talking about, what we talked about. And there is overlap. So in our work, is there something you're good at? you love, you can be paid for, and it's good work. It meets real needs. And I think if there's something that stands out to you, um, investigate that more. You know, go for it. But my guess is, as we think through our work, and especially being in a fallen world, we will not hit the, the exact center on this, okay? We'll likely only have one to maybe three of these things in our work if you're a normal person, okay? I'm going to say that's 95% of us. Uh, There are very few that have all four of these in their work, and they should very, very much feel fortunate. And one day, I think, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will have work that fits all of these categories and we'll find great joy in uh, when Jesus returns. But until then, until then, if you're a normal person in a fallen world, we just have to recognize that sometimes we're going to have to make sacrifices. We're not always going to have all four, okay? So we can just take this chart with a grain of salt and just recognize that if we only have two or three, uh, this is how we might feel, maybe. So as we think through this question, uh, practically speaking, what should we do if we only have like one to three of these things? We don't have all four. We only have like one to three things in our work. Uh, should we just quit our work and our job? Uh, maybe, but not necessarily, okay? Not necessarily. First, um, if we find that we only have one to three things in our work that we've talked about, I think we should always investigate the job that we have first. I think a lot of people hate their job, right? Um, you hear people complaining about it all the time. Oh, I had to do this at work and this, and it was just miserable, um, and if there's a certain aspect of your job, I mean, it's always good to say, well, can I talk with my boss? Can I negotiate this aspect of my job out of it? 
If it's a pay issue, like I can't make a living on this, can I negotiate a higher wage? Um, if it's just the fact that I'm not good at my job, have I given enough time to master it? Have I sought help from more other capable people uh, to see if there's something I'm missing? And if it's a needs issue, um, in that the job isn't fulfilling a real need according to your opinion, maybe just talk with your job, uh, your boss, to make sure it's not something you're missing. Uh, but after investigating uh, you know, your job and finding no alternatives, then maybe, maybe it is time to, to look for a new job. But another option you can take as well, another option is can I supplement this job that I am not crazy about uh, with other more fulfilling work, right? Um, I think majority of people find their, their greatest meaning, purpose, and pleasure not in their main job, but their side jobs or their volunteer work. And so my counsel then would be to supplement areas in that quadrant, those four quadrants, with work that does fit, work that you do love, work that truly does meet needs, work that actually provides for you. And so think about volunteering or side work that can compensate for what your main work and job doesn't. And my guess is all of us will overlap all over the place when it comes to this. And so the question is, can, can a side work or side volunteering supplement those missing quadrants? And then finally, at the end of the day, like, like I touched on, sometimes you just need to find a new job and a new line of work. It's so clear that this job is not in your best interest that you just need to find a new job. Um, rather than just trying to supplement it, you just need to find and get out. And that's okay. Um, and there could be a variety of reasons for it. Like you've investigated and nothing works. Um, any, any questions on this? The quadrants or, or these, these things? Okay, as we close out this morning then, I just want to talk about um, making a difference in our work. This is something that, you know, you see all over TikTok, I think. Um, people are just always like, hey, you know, if your job doesn't make a difference, you should find a new one and get something that does. Like, that's like a big thing. People just want to make a difference in this world. They want to leave their mark on it. Um, I think the younger generation, Gen Z, is like very much oriented this way, and they're very frustrated, and they feel like their work doesn't do any real good. And while I understand some of that sentiment, um, I think that there needs to be a change in our thinking when it comes to making a difference in our work. Um, and the first change of thinking I want to propose when it comes to our work is that we really do make a difference just doing ordinary work. We shouldn't think of ourselves as having no impact. We are having an imp impact when we do ordinary work well. And so work everywhere, ordinary work all across the globe, changes the corners of the world when it's done rightly. So when tires are mounted onto your car properly, that's making a difference. You're not going to die uh, when the snow falls. Uh, putting ketchup into bottles, building sturdy chairs, building airplanes correctly. Um, ordinary work every day changes the world, though we are often blind to that reality. And that's often because we live in a, a culture of expressive individualism. And so if we're not like discovering ourselves at work, something is wrong. So when we think of our work, we need to realize that ordinary work truly makes a difference. And it, be, and it does so as we are a team player with others. 
I think some people think that their highest goal in their workplaces is to start a Bible study or to just share their faith. And this is good. This is good. I don't want to downplay that. But we need to remember that people are far more likely to accept your invitation if they have seen you, the person who's inviting them, do ordinary work with talent, diligence, and kindness. People listen to ordinary workers who do their work well. They're more influential. They'll take you more seriously. So that's the first thing I want to encourage is ordinary work truly makes a difference. And it's a testament to your character and the goodness of God. And then secondly, of course, volunteer work makes a difference too. Again, not everyone finds their, that their work is the most fulfilling in the world. And so we need to realize that volunteer work makes a difference. Tons of volunteers across the globe make a difference on the yearly. And for all of you in this room who volunteer at this church, you are making a difference too. And so we just need to be aware that when we're trying to make a difference in our work, um, ordinary work does that, volunteer work does that, and we just need to be aware of what's happening behind the scenes and not get caught up in this expressive individualism. Um, any questions before we close in a word of prayer? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I used an example just like that three weeks ago, four weeks, but I have seen that more than one time, and you're just like, I really wish you wouldn't say you're a Christian right now. And so we need to be reminded, our work, man, it, it's, it either testifies to the goodness of Jesus or it really, it's, it, it does serious damage more than we know. You know. And people begin to think Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Their message doesn't do anything. Why would I want that? Look at him. He's a terrible worker. Why would I want that? And yeah, that's, ab- that's absolutely true. And so getting back to ord- ordinary work, we got to start with the foundation. We so often skip over it. Just, uh, just evangelize. What, but you, what about your character? What about your work that you're doing? Does it bring the flavor of goodness and 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 uh, light to to Jesus Christ? So, yeah, that's that's great. Well, we'll keep talking. I'll pray so we can get set up for um, our service here in 15 minutes. Father, we thank you so much for for your grace to us each and every day. We thank you for the work that you've given us to do. Uh, we ask now that you would bless us in all the jobs that we have, all the work that we have. Uh, may we truly bring glory to your name and make a difference through being faithful, just being faithful in all that you've called us to do. Help uh, the aroma of Christ to be sweet, and may that spread um, as a testament of our work for others as we serve the good uh, of the people all around us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.